0: in verses 1 through 2. The title of our lesson this morning is Beyond the Tithe. Beyond the Tithe. And we're going to be here for two weeks. I just could not get everything I needed to say into one lesson, so we're going to be here two weeks. Now, I've been teaching for a long time, and i found over the years there's two subjects that are difficult to talk about. The first one is for me. The first one is women, and the second one is money. Now, any scriptures that deal with women, that's always hard for me because I just, I don't understand women at all. Um, And I used to try. I thought if I watched enough and asked enough questions that eventually I'd figure it out, and at some point I just completely gave up. Uh, It was like last Sunday, Kathy and I were going shopping, going to town, had to see somebody, and she said, I need to go to Marshall's. And I said, what do you need to get? She said, nothing. And I, I said... She said, "But I need to go to Marshalls." And I said, "Well, what is it? What is it you got to get? Nothing." And I said, "Well, you, I just need to go." And I said, "Well, you, you don't need to go. You if you know if you say you need to do something, you require to get something, right?" And she just said, "I require to go shopping." So that's that's. I didn't get that. Or this morning I got up and made the bed, and somehow or another two more pillows have mysteriously appeared on the bed. Now we had seven, right? Now we're up to nine. I mean. Is there some magic number? I don't. I don't understand. You know. Yeah, there's some parts of this I don't understand. So that's one subject that I have trouble with. The sed- second subject, of course, is money. Anytime you deal with money, um, you've got. You know, for obvious reasons, it's it's a little more difficult. But I made a I made a commitment years ago when I started teaching that I would get in the Bible, and whatever I found, that's what I would would present. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes like everybody else. But to the best of my ability. I, I I made a commitment to present what I, what I like it or not. Sometimes I don't like it, um, but that's still what I, what I have to do. All right, let's turn and read our verses. 1 Corinthians 16, in verses 1 through 2. It says, "'Now concerning the collection for the saints, "'as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. "'On the first day of every week, "'each of you is to put something aside and store it up, "'as he may prosper.'" so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now last week we we got into these verses and we saw that Paul is basically writing to the Corinthians and he's taken up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Evidently the, the, the church in Jerusalem is very, very poor and so Paul is, is taking about a year to go around to the churches in Galatia and Macedonia and cor- Corinth and he's collecting money to take to the church. Now... Here he's writing to them, he's giving them instructions on how to handle the collecting of this money. Now last week, we saw that he laid out five principles in giving. Okay, And last week we covered four, today we'll cover the fifth. And I'm going to go through these very quickly. Uh, You can get on the podcast and listen to all that last week if you weren't here. But the first principle he laid out was the purpose in giving. And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Again, I'm going to go through this very quickly. Uh, What he taught us here, this first principle, is scripture is clear, that we are to put believers first. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't reach reach out to unbelievers. Of course we do. Uh, But Paul says in Galatians 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We put the first church first. We put believers first first in our, in our giving. The second principle that Paul laid out was the period of giving. And he said on the first day of every week. You remember the principle here is that God wants us to deal with our money on a constant basis. Let me ask you, I ask this, do you think it's okay if you read your Bible once a year? you think it's okay if you pray once a year? How would it sound to you if I read a verse and it says, encourage the brethren, And I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out on January 1st and I'm going to encourage somebody and I'm done with that for the rest of the year. Is that what the Bible expects from us? Of course not. We are to do these things on a constant basis. It's no different with our giving. He wants that to be done constantly. He wants us to be dealing with the stewardship of his money on a regular, constant basis. And Sunday, the first day of the week, is the perfect day to do that because our giving is inextricably tied in with our worship. So that's, that's, that's Paul's principle right there. The third principle that Paul laid out is the place of giving. Okay? Now, we said last week, we believe that our primary place of giving should be the church. Now, there, I gave you four reasons for that. We won't go into it again, but suffice it to say that this pattern was laid down very early in the book of Acts. You go read the book of Acts, all the people sold what they had, they took their money, they brought it to the elders, they brought it to the leaders, they brought it to the apostles, and they distributed that money. And I gave some other reasons as well, but again, you can go back and review that if you want to. And then number four, which was very easy, was the participants in giving. Paul says on the first day of every week, each of you. So black, white, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter, everybody has something to give. And Paul says, each of you are to give. Now, today, we said last week we were going to turn to the fifth principle, and that is the proportion of giving. How much am I to give? Now, all Paul says in verse 2 is this, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up and read those four words with me, as he may prosper. Okay, that's all he says, as he may prosper. Now, first of all, that is a very clear statement that people will give different amounts. Can we agree on that? Paul doesn't say, I want everybody to give $100. I want everybody to give $50. He doesn't say that. He says, you give as you prosper. That means that one person is going to prosper and they're going to give more. Another person may prosper less, they'll give less. that's, That's obvious. I don't think anybody has any problem with that. We all understand that different people are going to give different amounts of money. Now, here's the question. We're going to spend this whole 40 minutes or so answering this one question. And that is, what is to control the amount of our giving? You may make way more money than I do. What should control the amount of money that that you give? That's the question that we're going to answer today. Now, the common answer, of course, is that the amount we are to give is to be controlled by a number, and the number that that we are most familiar with is 10%, and we call that the tithe. By the way, if you don't know, the word tithe means what? It means 10%. It means a tenth. That's that's exactly what it means, and so if somebody makes 100,000, they give 10,000. Somebody over here makes $50,000, 50,000 they give 5,000. If somebody makes 20,000, they give 2,000. So that's the common answer that we would that we would give. Now, here's what I want to ask this morning, is that really what God expects Christians to use to control their giving? Okay? And we're going to try to answer that this morning. Now, I want to try and answer this question, and I I tend to be, you know, sometimes I go a little overboard, but I want to go back and look at giving in the three great periods of biblical history. If you look at biblical history, it's really divided into three periods. There's from Adam to Moses, Moses to Jesus, and Jesus to now. And I want to look at giving in all three of those periods. The first one we want to look at is Adam to Moses. How is giving handled before the law? Now, in Genesis chapter 4, you have the very first offering that's ever brought to God. Genesis 4, 3 through 4. It says this, now in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, I want to point out a couple things about this offering. The first thing you're going to notice about this offering, it is, it is completely voluntary. There's no command, there's no requirement from God that says you need to do this. It just says in the course of time. In other words, as time went by, they, they began to realize, you know, it's God that gives us all this. It's God that gives us the animals and the fruit of the ground and makes everything work. And and there was a thankfulness in their heart. There was a love in their heart. And they decided, we're going to give back to Him. Now, how much did they give? Anybody? We got no idea. Doesn't say, does it? It just says, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. I, I raised some sheep at home, and in the past month, I've had three little babies born, and I was thinking about this. Well, if I, was, if I was living back then and I was supposed to bring of the firstborn, what do I give? Do I give one? Do I give two? Do I give them all? In other words, there's no requirement. Everybody with me? He just, whatever he wanted to give, that's what he gave. It, it, was, it was of his own free will. And we have no idea what the, what the amount was. Later, as you go through Genesis, we come to Noah. In chapter 8, after the flood, you know, Noah's in the boat with all the animals and his family and the waters recede and he comes to dry ground. And on on Genesis 8.20 it says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Once again, completely voluntary. Nobody's requiring it. Nobody's asking for it. It's just coming out of his heart. The second thing you'll notice, we got no idea what the amount was. It just says what? Some. He took some. In fact, by the way, it wouldn't have made much sense if he'd have saved all those birds and then killed them all, would it? So he just took some of them, whatever was in his heart. Now, as you move through Genesis, you eventually come to Abram. In Genesis 12, 7, it says this, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So once again, we've got an offering to the Lord that that Abram is giving to God. Completely voluntary, just out of his heart. God says, I'm going to give you this land. And out of, in Abram's heart, he said, Lord, I want to give you something. I'm going to offer you something. Completely voluntary, and by the way, we have no idea what the amount is. Now, in all of these offerings to the Lord, I want you to notice there is no command to do it. Everybody with me? This is completely what we call a free will offering. People are giving to God out of their own possessions, They're doing it spontaneously out of love and thankfulness to God. Nobody's telling them they have to do it. How much did they give? we got no idea. There's no number, there's no percentage, there's no requirement. They're just doing it of their own initiative. It's what we call free will giving. Now, as we come to Genesis 14, we have the very first mention of a specific number, and that is the tithe, which is a tenth. Now, if you go back and read the story in Genesis 14, you remember Abram, Abram and Lot had separated. Lot is living in the city of Sodom, and this war breaks out. And in those days, you didn't have nations, and you basically had cities, and every city had a king. So this war breaks out, these five cities against four cities, and one of the cities that's involved in this war is the city of Sodom, and it's captured. It's captured. And Lot is taken prisoner, his family, all of his flocks, everything that he owns. Well, of course, Lot is Abraham's kinsman. So he hear, Abram hears about it, and he goes and grabs about 300 of his own men, and they go after him. And they go, and they, and they, they rescue Lot. They defeat the kings, they take Lot back. They get all, and and as, not only did they get all the stuff that Lot had, but they gained all this treasure from these kings. And so he's got all this extra treasure and he's taking it back home. And on the road, he runs into this mysterious guy, this king uh, called Melchizedek, who was not only a king, he was also a priest of God. And it says this in Genesis 14, "...and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand." And Abram gave him what? A tenth of everything. Okay, so that's the very first time we are mentioned a number, which is the tenth. Now, if you go on down through Genesis, eventually uh, you're going to come to a man called uh, Jacob, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So keep in mind, Abram sees this man who represents God. This man says to him, Abram, you see all that stuff you got? God gave that to you. And Abram responds to that by saying, okay, here's a tenth i take a tenth of all this I've got, and I give it back to you. Now notice, once again, there's no command to do it. He just does it out of his... It's completely free will. It's completely voluntary. Now, as you move down through Genesis 28, you come to Abraham's grandson, a man by the name of Jacob. And he says this one day. He says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. Now, Jacob, be honest with you, is not a, a really great example to follow. It sounds to me here like he's trying to cut a deal, doesn't it, to you? God, if you do this, I'll do that. But the fact is, we'll set that aside for today. The fact is, he said, God, of all that you give me, I will turn around and give a tenth back to you. Now, in all of those cases before the law from Cain and Abel all the way up to Jacob, you'll notice the offering is always what? Voluntary, completely out of their heart, completely out of a free will. There's no requirement at all from God to give anything. Now, you may say, well, where does the 10% come from? We don't know. Maybe it was a local custom in that day. Maybe 10% represented something. We don't know. All we know is that God doesn't say you got to do it. They just did it out of their own free will. Now, let's turn to the second period of biblical history between Moses to Christ. This is when everybody, the Israelites, are under the law. Now, everybody remember the story, right? you got Abraham, he's got a grandson named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so God creates this nation out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those tribes... Uh, by the son called Levi, becomes this tribe of, called the Levites. They're, they're a tribe of priests. It's their responsibility to, when they set up the temple, they set it up, they take it down, they carry the Ark of the Covenant, they, they kill the animals, they basically do all the work, but they need somebody to support them. And so God does something, He institutes a tithe in order to support these Levites. Numbers 18 says this, And behold, I have taken your brothers the Levites from among the people of Israel to do the service of the tent of meeting. It goes on to say, The tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. All right, so let's make sure we understand this. This tribe of the Levites, they're they're like the preachers and the priests. They're responsible for putting the tent up. They take it down. They carry the Ark of the Covenant. They, They kill all... Everybody with me? So they don't they have to have a way to put food on the table. They have to have a way to put clothes on their kids back. But but they don't have jobs. They're not blacksmiths, they're not they're not shepherds. They're just preachers and priests. And so God says, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. All you other 11 tribes, you're going to tithe. You're going to give 10% of what you have, and you take that 10% and you give it to the Levites. And that becomes theirs to do with that that'll put food on their table." clothes on their kids' back. That's how God instituted the tithe. So the tithe, which is 10%, was given to the tribe of Levites to support them, again, because as, as priests, they didn't earn a living any other way. And keep in mind, in that day, there was no kings, there's no governors, there's no judges. The Levites did all of that. Not only did they run the temple, they basically ran the, they ran the kingdom. They ran the government. And so everybody's tithe went to them... To support them. Now you may say, "Well, what was this tithe?" Well, let me give you an idea. Leviticus twenty-seven thirty through thirty-one: Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. So he says this. Okay, anything the land produces—the seed, the uh, you got potatoes, you got apples, you got grapes—you take ten percent of that and you give it to the Levites. Now, notice at the end there, and I'll just point this out to you, if a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he can add a fifth. What he's saying is this. Let's say that you got an apple tree, and it bears ten bushels of apples. And you think, man, you know what? I really need all ten bushels of those apples. Even though one bushel is supposed to go to the Levites, you think, I really need to keep it. So God says, okay, if you want to keep that bushel of apples, that's fine. What you do is you find out the value of that bushel... You add 20% to it, and you can pay the money. Everybody with me? So if you got a bushel of apples, that's worth $100. and You don't want to give it to the Levites. You, you, you add 20%, you take $120, and you give it to the Levites, and God says that's fine. Everybody with me? That's what he, that's what he means by that. He goes on. And every tithe of erd, herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord... One shall not differentiate between good or bad, and neither shall you make a substitute for it. It shall not be redeemed. So God says, okay, the animals. When you, when you decide your tenth, you just let the animals pass by. And, and I love how God is being fair here. Watch what he says. You don't have to differentiate between good or bad. Every tenth animal... So let's say you got a, you're a herdsman and you've got a bunch of sheep. Every tenth animal that comes by, you, you pull it out. That goes to the Levite. If a, if a good one, if your prize ram goes by you pull it out. If a little old sickly sickly lamb goes by, you pull it out. God says, that's fine. You don't have to differentiate between good or bad. Just every tenth one that goes by, you give it to the Levites. But notice, you cannot redeem it. You can't give money instead. You have to give the animals in that case. So that was their tithe, okay? So again, the tithe, which went to take care of the priests, was 10% of everything they had in terms of what the land produced from land and animals. Now... Under the law, it said very clearly, this tithe belongs to the Lord. This is not voluntary, guys. Everybody with me? He says, this is the Lord. This already belongs to Him. You're just giving Him what He he already owns. In fact, this is why in Malachi it says to them, if you don't give that 10%, you're robbing God. Why? Because it already belongs to Him. Malachi 3.8.9 says, will a man rob God? yet you are robbing me. And you say, well, how have we robbed God? He says, you robbed me in your tithes and contributions because that already belongs to me. If you keep it, you're stealing from me. That's what he said under, under the law. Everybody with me? Okay, now, at this point, I've probably not told you anything you don't already know. If I ask most Christians, where do we get the tithe from? You would probably say, well, in the Old Testament, God instituted a tithe for the Israelites. But would it surprise you to know that there wasn't just one tithe. In fact, there were multiple tithes for the Israelites. For example, in Deuteronomy 12, it says this, You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain, or of your wine, or of your oil, or the firstborn of your herd, or of your flock, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose, and take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as they live in your hand. Right here, Moses is talking to the people on the east side of the Jordan, and they have not yet crossed over into the Promised Land. And he says to them, you know, today when we're over here, everybody's got their own altars, everybody's kind of got their own high places, and they do their own thing. But when we cross over in the Promised Land, God is going to choose a place. And this place, of course, is a Jerusalem. And he says, when, when God chooses that place, what you're going to do is, once a year, you're going to take your tithe, and you're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to eat it there. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, see, again, what he's saying is every year we're going to have a celebration, actually going to have more than one celebration or feast in Jerusalem. Everybody remember like the Feast of Tents and the Feast of this and the Feast of that? So God says, okay, here's what you're going to do. Every year you're going to set aside another 10%, and then you're going to take all of of Israel is going to take that 10%. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and we're going to have a big potluck dinner and everybody's going to share with everybody else. Now, this had a very specific purpose. Not only was it meant to remind them of what God had done for them and to stimulate devotion, but it also, it, it also encouraged unity. Isn't it funny? This is funny to me. Even today, we, we, we get together over meals, don't we? You know why we do that? Anybody? Not just so we can eat. It's because when you get together over meals, it unifies you, doesn't it? You get to know people. You find out their likes, their dislikes, their hurts, their, their, their failures, their successes. It creates a unity. Well, God even did that for the whole nation. He says the whole nation is going to come up to Jerusalem. You're going to bring 10% of what the land produces, 10% of your animals. You're going to come up there, and we're going to all share it with one another. Now, here's the point. That is a second tithe. That's not the first tithe. Remember, the first tithe went to who? The Levites, this is a second tithe. So what you've got now, guys, you're up to 20%. 10% goes to the Levites for them to use as they see fit. We'll call that the Levite tithe. Another 10% is to be set aside to fund the yearly festivals. We'll call this the festival tithe or the feast tithe. So now you're up to 20%. And if you think you're done, you're wrong. You got another one. Um, Deuteronomy 14 says this, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. So God says every third year, you're going to take another 10%, and you're going to take it to your town or your village, and you're going to bring it and store it up. And the Levites are going to come. They're going to get an extra that year. And then all the orphans and all the widows and all those people, the travelers, they get to come and eat of it too. It's kind of like the welfare system. God kind of set up a welfare system. Now, if you go through and you look at this, and you start adding it all up, and you think of the Israelites giving, it turns out they gave much more than 10%. If you if you break it out annually, they gave at least 23%. And that's not even talking about... Remember, God says you can't... When you harvest, you can't go to the edge of your field. You've got to leave some for the poor people. Did you know every seventh year they couldn't plant? Every seventh year they had to forgive their debt. Somebody did the math and said they figure that as an Israelite, it cost you between 25 and 35% of your income in, in giving, which was required. Now, you may say... And, and again, you can see what God's doing, right? He's taking care of the government. That's the Levite tithe. He's taking care of the national feast. That's the feast tithe. And He's taking care of the poor... That's the poor tithe. Again, this is not free will giving. This is not voluntary giving. This is a requirement. God says, that is mine. You give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, you're robbing. Now, you may ask, well, was there any opportunity for free will giving under the law? Well, absolutely. Leviticus 23, 38 talks about your free will offerings. If you just wanted to give something, you could just give out of your heart. Proverbs eleven twenty four encourage the people. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers won't. In Exodus 35, you'll remember they were building the, the tabernacle of meeting and they put out a call and said, anybody wants to give, if you got any cloth or you got any dye or if you're a tradesman and you want to give your time to build, you can, you can just do it. And it says, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. If you go back and read that story, they eventually had to say what? Stop. Stop giving. Y'all gave too much money. You gave too much stuff. We got too much. Just stop. We don't know what to do with it. And that was completely out of their heart. Now, we got 15 minutes. I want to turn to the last period of biblical history, and that is from Jesus to now. This is after the law, or after the law's been fulfilled. Now, remember, when we started this lesson, we said the question we wanted to answer was this. What should control the amount of our giving as Christians? Okay, every person should give as they prosper, but what should control the amount of our giving? Now, listen, we all understand that there are requirements in the Old Testament that don't carry forward. Everybody with me? For example, the Old Testament says we are to remember the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is on a Saturday. We don't do that anymore. We worship on Sunday. It's the, by the way, the Old Testament says you can't eat shrimp, you can't eat catfish, and you can't eat pork. How many of y'all probably ate all three of them this week? There's a few back there. We're not doing that anymore. Uh, the Old Testament says we have to sacrifice animals. We don't do that anymore. There are certain things in the Old Testament that don't come forward. At the same time... We know that there are absolutely things in the Old Testament, moral requirements, that do come forward. Do not commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Those things all come forward, don't they? Here's a question Pastor Henry asked me this week, which I thought was a really good question. Does giving come forward from the Old Testament into the New? In other words, is it a moral, would you consider it a moral requirement? Giving. That's a good question, isn't it? See, I think the more I thought about that, I would say absolutely. In fact, God is a what? He's a giver. It's his nature. He wants his children to be if somebody that's not a giver. That's I don't see how you have the Spirit of God in you. And I think it's just part of a requirement. In fact, the the, the old the Old Testament before the law they gave under the law they gave in the New Testament they gave. So I think absolutely. It's a, it's a moral requirement as far as giving, but in what proportion? That's the question. What's the proportion that we should, should give? Now, I'm going to... Just stay with me for here for just a few minutes, okay? I'm going to give you some ideas here. I want you to think about this. And again, we're not done. We're going to go through this next week. But I'm going to give you some Old Testament stuff and, and some New Testament contrast. In the Old Testament, Exodus 20:14, it says this... You shall not commit adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus says this, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Old Testament, Exodus 20:13 says this, you shall not murder. But Jesus said this, I say to you that everyone who is even angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever even insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever calls his brother a fool will be liable for hellfire. Now, that's some strong words, is it not? How about this one, Exodus 21, 24? The Old Testament says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. Jesus says, but I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil, And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn the other to him also. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here. In all of these things, what is Jesus doing? Is he lessening the requirement? What's he doing? He's raising the bar. See, the idea that somehow you get to the New Testament and, and, oh, I can get away with things. No, Jesus never says that. Jesus says, I'm going to raise the bar. You say, the Old Testament says you cannot commit adultery. I tell you that if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He raises the bar. He doesn't lower it. He raises it. Now, how do we look at that in terms of giving? Well, let me look at... I want you, first of all, look at, uh, look at how our relationship with the law. Look at Romans 7, 6. This is one of my favorite scriptures. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. Paul, sa- Paul says you're not beholden to that law anymore. That Old Testament law, all those commands and all that, you've died to that. You are it, it does not hold you captive anymore. But then watch what he says. So that, or in order that, we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, guys, we are not under the law. We're not under that Old Testament law. Unlike the Israelites, it is not the primary way that we relate to God. But that doesn't mean that we're not under a law at all. That doesn't mean that we're lawless. It just means that we're under a new law. Paul explains that law like this, Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of Of sin and death, you see the law of Christ. If we, if somebody might say, "Well, what is the law of Christ?" Well, the law of Christ is the law of love. You remember the story in Matthew twenty-two? A lawyer comes to Jesus and he's testing, and he says, "He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law?" And we all know what Jesus said. Jesus said to him immediately, without even thinking, "You shall love the Lord your God." with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment and the great commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, that is, a, that is an unbelievable saying. What Jesus is saying in the Old Testament law, there's 600 laws, 600 of them. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out with this. You don't have to worry about those six hundred. You only have to worry about two. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. That means when we come to a situation and I've got two choices, all the only question I have to ask myself: which of these best shows my love for God and my love for my neighbor? And then you do that one. Everybody with me? That's pretty simple. That's our law: love God, love the neighbor. Everything can be, can be weighed against those two commands. He really simplified it for us. You see, guys, under the law of Christ, love is to be our motivation. And here's what I'm here to tell you to do today. That includes our giving. Love should motivate our giving, not necessarily a number Our giving is to be motivated by love. I don't give so I can legalistically go over to the law and check off a check mark and say, well, I've done that. I'm good to go. It's checked off my list. We should be motivated not to give by law. We should be motivated to give by our heart. We don't don't give for a number. I give for a name. And that's the name of Jesus. I should be motivated completely differently as a New Testament Christian than those Old Testament people. They were motivated by law. They were motivated by requirement. I should be motivated by my heart. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing a second letter to the church. And watch what he says. He wants, he's talking to him about giving, and he says this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. By the way, that's a law uh, that's a law of nature, is it not? I planted some potatoes the other day, and and Kathy and I was out planting potatoes, and and we planted way more than we wanted to. Um, but there's a lot of potatoes, and they're all coming up, and we're going to reap bountifully. If I, you plant five, you're going to you ain't going to get very much, right? That's just a natural law, and the same is true in giving. Paul says you 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 want to reap bountifully, you sow bountifully. You, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And then watch what he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his, what? In his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul says he's got a chance here to say, this is how you're to give, and this is what He says, you give as you have decided in your heart. Now, we began this lesson attempting to answer this question. What controls the amount of our giving? And we have answered that question as Christians. Our giving should be controlled by our heart. That's what Paul said. Give us as, as you have decided in your heart. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, Derek, you have to start somewhere. You've got to start with some measure. What do you suggest? Well, I'm absolutely glad that you asked me that question. I believe that tithing, 10%, is a standard laid down in the Old Testament, and it is the absolute right place to start. But it is not where we should stop. As Christians, I believe the New Testament calls us to raise the bar. I told you last week, Some of you ain't going to like what I'm going to say. See, listen to this. I read Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Listen to me, folks. If the law of sin and death, its standard was 10%, how in the world can those of us who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, who have Jesus Christ has saved us, who are under the law of love, how could we do any less or even the same? 10% was laid down by a law of sin and death. How can I not do more? See, I think as Christians, we are to excel in our giving. Not just be satisfied with the norm. Not just be satisfied, well, that's that's what I have to do. No, to go above and beyond. And you may say, well, have you got a scripture for that? Absolutely I do. 2 Corinthians 8, 3-7 Paul is writing to the church, and he's talking about the Macedonians who gave, and he says this, "...for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord." And he goes on to say, now listen to this, "...so as you excel in everything, as you excel in faith, as you excel in speech, as you excel in knowledge, as you excel in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." Everybody see that? He's talking about giving. See, I, I look around this morning, and I see people who have, did not have to be here today. You do not have to come early to sit in a, in a room and listen to somebody teach the Bible, but you did. And I believe that every one of you are motivated because you're not satisfied with being a normal Christian, a nominal Christian, an average Christian. You want to excel in your faith. You want to excel in the knowledge of the Word of God. You want to excel in, in all aspects. Well, then I'm calling you out today to excel in your giving. I just think the New Testament says that's 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 the standard of the law. How could we do much? If somebody came to me and said, "Hey, you know, can I do less?" I'd be like, "Are you are you crazy?" I mean, that doesn't make no sense to me at all. I, we should be thinking, "How can I do more? How can I excel in giving?" See, I understand, guys. I understand this. It's easier. We've talked about this in this class several times. Sometimes it's easier. As human beings, we want to say, just give me a set of rules. Yes or no? Everything in us cries out for a set of rules. Just give me a set of rules so I'll know, yes, I can do that. No, I can't do that. You see, Christianity's not like that. We are led by the Spirit of God, not by a bunch of words on a page saying you do this or you don't do that. See, I understand sometimes it's easier if we just have... A, somebody just say, just give me a number. Give me a number. Give me, I'll give my 10%, and that takes care of everything. But listen to me. God wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be led by the Spirit of God. And God may want me to give 15. God may want me to give 35. He may want me to do far and above that. See, he, may, he wants me to excel, not just in my faith, not just in my knowledge, just, not just in my speech, not just in my love, but He wants me to excel, to go beyond in my giving. See, my point is this morning, I don't live by rules anymore. I've been set free from that. I do not have to live by those rules anymore. I live in a relationship with the living God. I am motivi- motivated as a Christian by my love for Him and my thankfulness for Him. And when you really know Him and you really understand what He's done for you, can I tell you that love and that f- thankfulness, you're like the Macedonians. It just explodes. It's not, oh, what, what's the minimum I can do? No. It's, it's what's the most I can do? How can I do more? Where can I give more? Where can I do more? Because you love God and you're thankful to Him for all that He's done for you. Shouldn't my giving reflect that? See, again, this morning, I know it's easier to just get a set of rules. I get that. But God doesn't want us to live by those rules. He wants us to live by the Spirit of God. He wants us to go beyond some set of laws and to do more. As Christians, we should excel in our giving. Now, we'll come back next week and we'll talk some more about tithing. We'll talk some more about giving um, and explain that. But I would ask you this week as you leave this place, and I pray, I know that as I've studied this, the Lord has, has been talking to me in my heart. And I hope He does the same to you. How can I excel in my giving? Let's pray. Father, we thank You.